so you can turn uh, in your Bibles to Psalm 19. If you don't have a Bible, there's uh, the passage printed um, in the bulletin that you got on the way in. We're in a series in the Psalms right now because they help us to connect with God. And all Scripture helps us to connect with God, but the Psalms have a particular way of doing that uh, because they're written as, as prayers. And they, they're, they're sort of a prayer language for us in every aspect of life, all the different emotions that we experience, not just the good emotions, not just when we feel like worshiping God, when things are maybe going well in life, but even in the really hard things in life. Uh, they give us a language for all of that in the Psalms. And uh, our passage this morning is Psalm 19, and, and this passage is going to show us that what we need most is God. Every one of us, that the thing we need most is God, and that we can actually connect with God, we can really know Him in His Word. And that may sound like the most simple, churchy thing that you've ever heard. Uh, maybe that's exactly what you expected to hear as you came in uh, to church this morning. That we need God and we can meet Him in His Word. Um, and maybe it is simple. But it's an idea that we don't really believe. Um, we don't really believe that what we need most is God. And our lives are proof of this. Um, think for, just reflect for a moment on your own life. Uh, just a typical day. How do you spend your time? Um... And, and what is how you spend your time on what you prioritize with your time? Say about what you really need in life and what you really value. Um, think about how you spend your money. If you were to look at your expenses, what are your expenses, especially the things you're willing to stretch for financially, what do those things say about what you think you really need? What about your worries, the things that wake you up at night? Is it a desperate desire to know God more? It might be might be something else. What do, what do you daydream about? What's sort of the kind of the escapist fantasy for you where when things are hard, you just kind of daydream about like if this were like this, if this were lined up, maybe, maybe there's a job component, a financial component, a relationship component. What, what, what do you dream about with your daydream? And what, how does that reflect what you think you really need? Um, often what we think we really need is the stuff of this world. More money, more time, more security, more comfort, more control. We need things to work out the way that they need to work out in our jobs, in school, in our relationships, with our kids, with our future plans. Uh, to, to sum it up, um, we think we need um, things to go the way we want them to go. To such a degree that if things work out the way we want them to, then in that scenario we won't really need God at that point. So we'll have everything lined up just the way we want it. I wonder how you'd answer this this morning. What I need most right now is blank. That's where Psalm 19 meets us. And actually it says to us, what you need most is God. Um, and you need Him more than anything else. And it's going to show us that we can actually connect with Him. Truly know Him in His Word. And so Psalm 19 is what we're going to look at. Let me read that for us beginning in verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them He has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom, leaving His chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them. For there is nothing hidden from its heat. 
The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. The word of the Lord. Oh, Father, we do thank you for your word. And we ask you now to be with us. Uh, What we need most is to hear from you. We're desperate to hear from you. Would you speak words of life to us by your Holy Spirit? And Father, I pray what we just read, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, When was the last time you misplaced your keys? Uh, Mine was yesterday morning. Uh, Thankfully, it didn't last very long, uh, but it's a very distressing thing uh, when you lose your keys. I saw a story this week about a man uh, who went hiking up in the mountains, and he hiked uh, six miles to this really beautiful lake, six miles in up in the mountains. That's that's a good hike. And uh, and he set some of his belongings down off to the side, including his keys, and he jumped in the lake and went for a swim, which is what you do when you're six miles in the mountains and there's a beautiful lake. So he's swimming, gets out, dries off, and, um, you know, gets his stuff, and then hikes back down, six miles back down. Uh, to his car, and then he gets to his car, and he does not have his keys with him. So then he turns around, and he knows exactly where they are. He turns around, he hikes six miles back up into the mountains to this beautiful lake, and finds his keys exactly where he left them, grabs his keys, and walks six miles back down to his car, and then goes on his way. So his 12-mile round-trip hike then turned into a 24-mile round-trip hike. Uh, but losing your keys is it's maddening. Um, because one, it never happens at a convenient time, um, but your car is just, it's right there. The car is right there. The thing you need most is right there in front of you. Uh, but your connection to the thing you need most is nowhere to be found. And so you can't connect with that thing you need most like you're supposed to. Uh, God is what we need most. And we connect with God through His Word. The, the key to knowing God and having a relationship with Him is in His Word, because it's His very words to us. And and here's what we learn about His Word in Psalm 19. Three headings this morning. We're going to see that God's Word unlocks our understanding of creation. Secondly, God's Word speaks to our deepest needs. And third, God's Word demands a response. So first, God's Word unlocks our understanding of creation. And we see this in the first six verses of our passage Um, You know, some have thought that this was originally two different psalms that were put together, or maybe that King David was quoting some sort of poetry when he wrote this. Whatever the case, uh, 1 through 6 and the rest of the psalm ended up together. How do these verses unlock our understanding of creation? Uh, Well, let's ask this. What are some common ways of understanding the natural world around us? Um, Maybe to put it on a a spectrum of extremes, uh, maybe at one end of the spectrum as we think about the natural world, nature, um, 
it would be that the natural world is everything. Uh, nature is everything, where in some cases people actually worship nature and created things. They, they, they worship uh, the natural world. Um, religions like pantheism or, or animism, um, where rather than seeing the natural world as something um, created by God, they see the natural world as something that is God. And so they bow down and worship it. That would be one end of the spectrum. Maybe the other end of the spectrum is to so um, ignore it and miss the beauty and majesty of creation uh, that we would just sort of um, have a sort of a utilitarian view and say, well, however I want to use it, whatever I want to do to it is great because it doesn't have any meaning or value. It's just whatever is good for me, and that's it. Maybe that's at the far end of the spectrum. Um, all right. Um, what does God's Word say about the natural world? It doesn't say to worship it, nor does it say that it doesn't matter. But this psalm tells us that the natural world actually bears witness about God. That it even sings to Him. Look at verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God and the sky His handiwork. And there's this voice that's talked about in these verses coming forth of creation. It says there is no speech. There are no words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth. Their words to the end of the earth. Um, the natural world speaks about God. Uh, at the end of the Psalms, Psalm 148, it says creation is actually invited to praise God. Creation is invited to praise God. Listen to this. It says, praise Him, sun and moon. Praise Him, all you shining stars. Praise Him, you highest heavens, you waters above the heavens. Praise the Lord from the earth, you great sea creatures in all deeps. Um, the natural world, it sings to God. Um, do you see how the word unlocks our understanding of creation? It tells us what to do with this amazing natural world around us. Uh, we take our cues from it and we join in the song of praise to God. Uh, the natural world, it points us to the fact that there is more than just the natural world. Which means that we don't worship nature itself, um, but nor do we just abuse it and not care about it. But we take our cues from it and we join in the song of praise to God. And Paul actually picks up on this. The Apostle Paul in his letter to the Romans in the New Testament. Romans chapter 1 actually says that there is such a testimony from the created world to the fact that there is a God, that there is a creator behind the creation. Um, that he says our mere observing of this natural world is enough to hold us accountable before God. Romans 1 verse 20 says, For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. Okay, so what we can know about God through creation is called His general revelation. Um, it's been revealed to everyone. Um, and Paul says that it's enough to hold all of us accountable to God, that we are without excuse. Creation is so amazing, the song of creation is so loud that it is pointing us up to God. Um, if you drive up to the border of, of South and North Carolina, you'll see the highest point in South Carolina, Sassafras Mountain. Um, it actually perfectly borders both states, if you've ever been up there before. Um, there's a lookout that they've built on top of the mountain, and there's a line on the ground that says South Carolina, North Carolina. You can actually stand and, and have one foot in both North Carolina and South Carolina at the same time. But if you stand up there and you look around, you can look and you can see the different lakes in South Carolina. You can see some of the highest mountains in North Carolina. Um, the view is absolutely stunning and breathtaking. And if you're there at sunrise, you'll see 
um, just the burning red sun sort of wake up over the mountains. And, you can, and you'll see that going up and you can look down and you'll see the clouds and the fog in the valleys between the mountains below. Um, what's happening when you're up on top of Sassafras Mountain? Creation is singing. It's singing out in praise to God. It's bearing witness to the fact that there is a creator, one for whom we're all accountable. Think about it this way. Think about a piece of artwork. Maybe you've been to Artisphere before. You're walking downtown. You stop at a booth. And the great thing about Artisphere is that the artist is right there. And so you can look at their artwork and you can, you can sort of say, all right, tell me about this. And, and they'll unlock it for you. They'll, they'll tell you about why they chose the colors that they did and, and why they laid it out the way they did. And so not only do you get an, a, an appreciation for that artwork that you didn't have before, but you have an appreciation and a knowledge of the artist in a way that you didn't have before. God's word unlocks creation for us. It unlocks it. It helps us to understand it for what it is and it actually helps us to know God more intimately. That's the first thing. Second thing, God's word speaks to our deepest needs. All right, so verses 1 through 6 are about the general revelation of God in creation that's revealed to everyone. Verses 7 through 9 are about his special revelation or the way in which we actually know him intimately and know the way of salvation. Look at verses 7 and following. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. Um, the late scholar Derek Kidner breaks up these verses by looking at the nouns and adjectives and verbs. Uh, so I know we're out of school right now, but just quick grammar lesson. Let's jump in and follow his lead on that. Look at the nouns starting in verse 7. These are different ways of describing God's word, different aspects of it. Verse 7, the law. This is just a comprehensive term for God's revealed will in his word. Verse 7, his testimony. It's the truth that is attested by God himself. Verse 8, his precepts and commandment. This is talking about the, the precision and the authority with which God addresses us. Verse 9 talks about his rules. His just decrees or his judgments. Um, these different words are showing us how comprehensive God's word is. Do you see how comprehensive it is? It comes at us from every angle of our understanding. And this is really God's kindness to us. To speak comprehensively to us. Why? So we can know him. Really know Him. We were created to be in relationship with God. And in His kindness, He has spoken to us and told us what He's like. And, and that's why when we're reading Scripture, you know, maybe we're in a place of the Bible that seems like totally irrelevant or like not applicable to us. Like, what, what is this talking about? What's going on here? It's important that we slow down and remember this actually is incredibly relevant, incredibly applicable because it is revealing God's heart to us. It's filling out this picture of who God truly is. These are the nouns that describe God's word. What about the adjectives that describe God's word? Verse 7 says it's perfect. You could say it's blameless. Verse 7 also says it's sure. It's firm, verified. Verse 8 says it's right. His precepts, they are morally right. The path that they lay out for us is straight. It's a good path. Verse 9 says it's true. 
His rules are true and dependable. God's Word will not lead you astray. Um, Anytime we step out of line from following Jesus, anytime we disobey, our sinful nature is screaming at us and trying to convince us that what God has for us is not perfect and not sure and not right and not true. And in that moment, we are convinced that what we want instead is what is perfect and sure and right and true. So our sin, it changes these adjectives and applies them to us and to our ways rather than God's ways. But His Word and His ways are so good. And these are superlative words. Um, Perfect, right? And, And sure, implying that it's the only sure thing. Right, clean, true, implying that nothing else compares. Uh, We all know someone, maybe we are that person who uses superlatives to describe everything. Um, The restaurant isn't just good, it's the best restaurant in town. Uh, uh, That person isn't just nice, they are the nicest person you'll ever meet. Um, the, The movie wasn't just okay, it was the worst movie that's ever been made. Um, we all know someone that, that speaks in superlatives. Another great example is the Christmas movie Elf. When Buddy the Elf uh, sees the, the, the sign in the coffee shop that says world's best coffee. And he believes it and he gets so excited and he congratulates the coffee shop on making the world's best cup of coffee. And everyone just kind of stares at him like thinking like, dude, really? Um, superlatives are often overused and often not true. And so we just kind of like glaze over when we hear them. Don't do that here. Uh, Don't let these superlatives about the Word of God cause you to sort of glaze over and miss the power of God's Word. It is perfect and sure and right and true. Look back at verses 7 through 9 again. Look at the verbs used to describe how God's Word comes to us and actually meets our very deepest needs. Verse 7, what does it do? It revives the soul. It brings life back into our soul. Where we were dead, it brings life. Verse 7, it makes us wise. Verse 8, it gives us joy. Also in 8, it enlightens our eyes. It opens up our eyes and it shows us the way. And these are all things we are desperately looking for regardless of our beliefs. Um, To be refreshed or restored. To have life. Uh, To be wise. To have joy. To be enlightened. Um, Think about pretty much every commercial or advertisement for any product or anything that's being sold to you. What are some of the promises we hear a lot? That this is going to give you life or make your life better. It's promising to revive you. Uh, That it's going to make you knowledgeable. It's going to give you knowledge. It's going to improve your life. It's going to give you wisdom. Uh, To to give you happiness or pleasure. Joy. Uh, To show you the way. It's going to enlighten you in some way. If you just buy this product, if you buy this product, you'll get more life. You'll get more knowledge. You'll get more uh, pleasure and happiness and joy. And you'll be enlightened. And apparently we see hundreds, maybe even thousands of ads every day. All of which are promising life, wisdom, joy, enlightenment. And we all know none of these ever deliver on their promise. God's Word does deliver on its promises. Um, God, working by His Holy Spirit in and through His Word, will give you life. Will give you wisdom. Will give you joy. Will enlighten you. 
Um, It actually does meet us in our deepest need and it delivers. And it's so great that it demands a response. That's the third thing. God's word demands a response. What's the response? There's at least two in our passage. That we would uh, love God's word more than anything else and that we would be humbled. The first response that we see is that we will love God's word more than anything else. Look at verse 10. It says, more to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Um, This is saying that when we experience uh, the life-giving power of the scriptures, um, the wisdom to be found in them, the joy that they bring, um, the true enlightenment that God gives us in his word, it's saying that we will begin to love it more than anything else, even money and pleasure. Um, King David goes straight to the things we cherish most in this life. Money, material things, wealth, pleasure, comfort. And he's saying that when when our hearts are really captured by God, when we get a taste of the intimacy that we have in relationship with Him, to know that He loves us fully and that we love Him in return, um, we're going to begin to love His Word more than money and pleasure. Because... Uh, It's the way that we nurture and we grow this loving and intimate relationship that we have with Him. And so we'll read it. And we'll study it. We'll meditate on it. And it will be a joy to do so. It becomes a primary voice in our lives. That's the first response, is to love God's Word more than money or pleasure. And secondly, we'll be humbled. Look at verses 11 and following. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Um, God's word rightly received, it humbles us. It humbles us. How? Um, When we willingly place ourselves uh, under the Scriptures, uh, letting them critique us, letting them speak to us and and shape us, rather than standing over the Scriptures and critiquing them, um, when we are under the Scriptures, we will heed the warnings of the Scriptures. Um, We'll experience the blessing and the reward uh, from following them. And ultimately, we're going to be completely humbled about our inability to live up to the standard that's set by them. We're going to hit the point where we say, I can't do this. Um, I can't follow God's law perfectly. Um, and there will be ways in which we, we sin knowingly, where, where we, we know where we're walking off the path. And there will be ways in which we are so self-deceived, which we don't even know we're stepping off the path. Or we sin unknowingly. We don't even realize it. And what does this do? This humbles us. Um, But there's also this incredible hope here and this motivation to continue on. Do you see how God is referred to at the end of verse 14? Not only as rock, but also as redeemer. Um, All of verse 14 is using sacrifice language. Because this is the way forward with God through a redeemer, and that redeemer is Jesus. Um, And, you know, it's, it's... fairly common to have some understanding that our sins are forgiven by Jesus. You know, even if you're here this morning and maybe you don't consider yourself a Christian and a lot of this sounds really new to you, I'm willing to bet that somewhere over the years you've heard that before, that in Jesus your sins can be forgiven. And so that's fairly common to have an understanding of that. Um, 
to kind of put it in financial terms, we, we, can, we can get our heads around the idea that, that our financial debt has been paid, um, but now the account balance, while it's no longer negative, it's at zero. So we're not in debt, but we're still poor. We don't have any money. And so we, it, to put it in you know, Christian terms, we think, okay, you know, the debt's been paid. Uh, the, the account is zeroed out. So now I, I, I do good things. I follow God and build the righteousness in that account up. I start growing a positive balance by my good works. That's, it's really easy to think about Christianity that way. Um, but, uh, but that's not how the gospel works. Uh, listen to how, what John Owen said uh, in his book, Communion with God. This is back in the 1600s about this very thing. He says, um, there is yet something more required than just our being forgiven. He says, there's yet something more required. It is not enough that we are not guilty. We must also be actually righteous. Not only all sin is to be answered for, but all righteousness is to be fulfilled. By taking away the guilt of sin, we are as persons innocent. But moreover, it is required that the whole law be fulfilled. Excuse me, but something... um, More is to be required to make us to be considered as persons obedient. This sin, moreover, is required that the whole law be fulfilled and all the obedience performed that God requires at our hands. And it finds a resolution only in the Lord Christ. His death reconciled us, then we are saved by His life. Last sentence, listen to this one. The actual obedience obedience which He, Jesus, yielded to the whole law of God is that righteousness whereby we are saved. What is Owen saying? Jesus not only cleansed us from our sin by His death on the cross, but His life earned perfect righteousness for us. So back to the financial terms. Jesus paid the debt, but He also loaded our bank account with an unending, overflowing supply of funds that we cannot add to or take away from. He filled it all. And it's not because of what we've done, but because of what He has done for us. And what is the response to that? The only response is humility. Because it's not our work, but it's His work that saves us. And do you see how that would then change our motivation to obey God? We don't obey God to earn anything from Him. It's already been earned by Jesus. But we obey out of love and gratitude for what has already been done. Um, The One who loved us so much has sent His own Son to die for us. He has now told us the best way for us to live, and so we obey Him. We live our lives on His terms, um, not so that we're, we're going to earn His approval. We already have His approval. But we do so because we are perfectly loved by Him, and we trust that what our Father has for us really is best. Um, God is what we need most. And we can find Him in His Word. And Jesus, the Word of God made flesh, He offers Himself to you this morning. Uh, won't you surrender everything to Him? Uh, won't you respond with the humility of Psalm 19 and ask that your words and meditations might be acceptable in God's, God's sight only through the Redeemer, Jesus? Let's pray together. Father, thank You. Thank You for the good news that we can know You. That we can know You in Your Word. That You've spoken to us. And Your Word is the key to unlocking not just creation, but everything our own hearts, the world around us. And thank You that in Jesus we have the Word made flesh. Uh, The One in whom we see love and righteousness lived out perfectly. The One in whom we find our forgiveness of sins. 
The one in whom we find real intimacy where we can really be known and loved for all eternity. Oh, Father, remind us of that this morning, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.